Today we're looking at the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews, book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. We're going to read verse number 2. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer says about Jesus that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Father, I thank you today that we are able to be in this beautiful place of worship. Thank you for these that, that have come out today. Thank you for the rain. Lord, I, I, I grumble and I complain because I'm a pastor and I know what it does to our attendance and, and all of those things, but I thank you for the rain. But, but by God, I just pray, Lord, that not only will there be rain on the outside, but I pray that there will be rain of the Holy Spirit on the inside of this place today. Thank you that you have given us power thus far in the service. I ask you to help us to finish the service, Lord, with, with, with lights and electricity today. Most of all today, I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be in this part of the service today. God, all of the effort and all the expense and all that has gone forth in the, in the last few days in, in going for this outreach yesterday and this service today, Lord, it is all, it is all uh, Lord, directed at what we want you to do at the altar this morning. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll begin to prepare the heart today. Begin to tenderize the heart today. Begin to turn the heart of the people toward God today. Lord, I pray you'll do what we are unable to do today in this service. All for the glory of God, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, it was August 3rd, 1992. Derek Redmond had had never felt stronger. He made his move into lane five, overtaking the runners in in lane six through eight. Then Redmond felt something pop in his right leg. He had torn his hamstring. As the others finished the race, all eyes turned to him, hopeless and motionless on the track. All of a sudden, a man appeared. He appears next to the injured runner who, who, despite his injury, was determined that he would finish the race. Redmond's father had been watching in disbelief from the grandstands. He offered his son his shoulder to lean on for support, and with the help of his father, he hobbled in agony toward the finish line. Together, the father and the son produced one of the most Glorious finishes in Olympic history. And the crowd went wild. May I suggest to you that that over 2,000 years ago, after watching man stumble and fall, Jesus leaped out of the grandstands of heaven. He mounted the cross. And in so doing, he offered man the opportunity to finish his race in victory. Chris Tomlin revived one of the old, old hymns of the church some time ago entitled, The Wonderful Cross. 
song lyrics began with the words, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See, from his hands, his from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, oh, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. Well, that's what I want us to do for just a very few moments this morning. I, I want us to survey the wondrous cross. I want us today to gather around the cross. Because you see, this is what Christianity is all about. You see, everything that we believe, everything that we hope for, everything that we have placed our faith and our trust and our confidence in it can all be found at the foot of the cross. You see, it's the cross. And more, more specifically, it is the, cry, the Christ of the cross. Nothing more and nothing less than Christ and His cross that can provide salvation for man. The book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says there is salvation in no other than Jesus God has given no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So let's do that this morning. Let's just take a few moments this morning and let's gather around the cross today. Let's survey the wondrous cross and see what we can glean today. As we survey the cross, there are three things that I want us to look at. The first thing that I, I want us to look at today is I want us to notice the person of the cross. The person of the cross. First of all, I want us to notice his deity. Now, now this word deity means divine nature. Divine nature. You see, you see, Jesus was a son of God who willfully became the son of man. No, he was not half man and half God. I, I, I can't explain it to you this morning. It's supernatural, but, but somehow he was fully God and he became fully man. You see, he did not begin his existence in the womb of Mary. He, he has always existed. He, he, he is as, as much God as God the Father is God. And yet he willfully laid aside his rights. He will, willfully laid aside his privileges as the Son of God. And he was born of the Virgin Mary and he became the Son of Man. And as man, he experienced every experience that every human being would ever experience. He did that so that he could sympathize with the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the temptation of man. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 says, Though he was God. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. No, no. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born 
as a human being. I also want us to notice this morning his dedication. His dedication, John chapter 12 and verse 27 says, Now my soul, Jesus is talking, and he says, Now my soul is troubled. And he said, What shall I say? He said, Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? He said, But for this purpose I came to this hour. You see, we were born to live. He was born to die. My wife and I, years ago when she let me sing, Years ago, my wife and I used to sing an old song, Born to Die, a cruel cross to bear. Born to die that I, his love, may share. Born to die, his precious life to give. Born to die that I might live. See, we invest in life for what we can get. He invested in life what he could give. John 10 and 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm talking about the person of the cross right now. But not only do I want us to survey his deity and his dedication, but also, also I want us to notice his determination. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 said that he endured the cross and he despised the shame. May I suggest to you that his focus was laser sharp. May I suggest to you that he was on a mission, that he knew his purpose and he didn't allow anyone or anything to distract him from the reason and the purpose for which he came. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he knew there was no plan B. He knew that that, that his father had no backup plan. He knew it was going to be Christ and the cross or it would be nothing else. And so he came laser focused. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through The second thing about the cross that I want to survey today is the pain of the cross. You see, the cross was an instrument of execution. It was a method of execution that was specifically designed to inflict merciless torture and unmatched pain. Today you will see people uh, with chains around their neck with with beautiful uh, gold or silver uh, crosses. Listen, in reality the cross was anything but pretty. It was anything but appealing. Let me suggest three different types of torture that Jesus experienced on the cross. The first one is physical. If you watched the Passion of the Christ a few years ago, you saw just a little glimpse of what crucifixion was like. I don't know anyone that saw that movie with dry eyes. A medical doctor wrote a description 
of crucifixion. I want to read it to you. He writes, he says, the cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. He feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. Cross is then lifted into place. It drops into the hole with a thud. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, Excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight of the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but it cannot be exhaled. He fights, he fights to raise himself in order to get even one small, tiny breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent Partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can now feel the chill of death creeping through its tissues. Finally, he can allow his body There's just absolutely no way that I can even read this or I can explain to you or I can try to describe the horrific pain, the agony that our Lord and Savior experienced on the cross. Isaiah 52 and 14, a description of Christ on the cross. It says, but many were amazed when they saw him. 
His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance one would scarcely know he was even a man. The friend, the torture of the cross was not limited to physical pain, but also there was the mental. In John 12 and 27, Jesus said, My soul, my soul is deeply troubled. We understand that our soul consists of our mind, our emotions, and our will. Can you even imagine the mental anguish and and the emotional torture that Jesus must have experienced on his way to the cross? What would it be like to know in advance what was waiting on you? Oh, to know ahead of time what you were about to go through. And if that's not enough, oh, oh, to know that what you were going to do for somebody else would be rejected by the majority of those you were doing it for. To know that you would pour out your love on a people that would not love you. No wonder Ephesians chapter 3 verse 18 and 19 says that no one can fully grasp or comprehend the height or the depth or the length or the width of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I must suggest to you that the torture of the cross was not limited to just physical pain. It was not, it was not limited to just mental pain, but there was also the spiritual pain. Hebrews 4 and 15 says that he was tempted in every area, just like we are, yet he never sinned. You see, Jesus was God's perfect, spotless, pure, sinless lamb. Oh, John the Baptist said of Jesus, behold, the lamb of God, oh, that takes away the sin of the world. May I suggest to you this morning that Jesus did not die on the cross for for his sin. No, no. He died on the cross for our sin. He was not executed for what he had done. He was executed for what we have done. The Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was making final preparation to go to the cross. The Bible says there in the Garden of Gethsemane that it talks about a cup, a cup that Jesus would have to drink out of on the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus was so disturbed about this cup. The Bible said that he so dreaded this cup that he prayed for three solid hours that this cup would not have to be experienced. He so dreaded this cup and he so agonized over this cup that the Bible said his sweat turned into blood. May I suggest that not even on the cross, not even with the nails in his hands and his feet, not even after the pier, the spear in his side, not even, not even, oh, hanging on the cross. No, no, not even there. Not even there did he shed, did, did he, did his sweat turn to blood. It was in the, it was in the garden and it was over the cup.
what could possibly be in this cup? It might even be worse than the cross itself. What could possibly be in this cup that could cause him such such anguish and such turmoil? I suggest to you that sin was in that cup. The cup of Gethsemane, the cup that Jesus would have to drink on the cross, the cup of Gethsemane was no less than sin itself. What sin, Pastor? Your sin, my sin. Every sin, every single sin that would ever be committed in the past, in the present, and in the future. Oh, every evil deed, every perverted act, every vile thought. Oh, I don't know how it was done. I don't know how God did it, but God somehow miraculously gathered every single sin that man had ever committed or ever would commit. Oh, and somehow he placed it in the cup of Gethsemane. Oh, oh, and the one picked out to drink it, the one chosen to encounter the full wrath of the holy God, the one that would pay God's penalty for sin, was none other than his very own spotless son, perfect son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 and 6, God laid on him, who? Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, with the sin of all mankind poured out upon him, the Bible says that God the Father in all of His holiness, in all of His purity, in all of His righteousness, could not, could not look upon His Son with the sin of the world upon Him. And so God the Father had to abandon His Son for a moment. He had to look away from His Son for just a moment. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the very first time ever, Jesus felt the most horrendous pain possible, which is separation from God. You see, as bad as the physical pain of crucifixion was, and there is no other death more excruciating and more painful than Crucifixion. It's by design. It's a means not only of death, but it's a means of torture. But oh, let me tell you, let me tell you, as bad as the physical side and the physical pain of crucifixion was, it paled. It paled in comparison to the spiritual side. Separation from God. May I take just a step back and just suggest this this morning? The physical pain of a literal hell. And yes, the Bible talks about a literal hell. For the devil and the sinner. Yes, there is a literal hell. Yes, it is a place of fire and brimstone. Yes, it is a literal place. Yes, it is literal hell. Yes, it is literal fire. Yes, excruciating, unbelievable, mind-boggling pain forever and ever. May I suggest that the physical pain of a literal 
fiery burning hell that is prepared for the sinner will pale, will pale. It will pale in comparison to the spiritual torture. To be eternally, forever, and totally separated from God. Separated from His manifest presence. We have no clue. We don't understand. We don't. Most people don't even think about this. You don't think you want to go to hell because you don't want to go through the fire? Let me tell you something that's going to be worse than going through the fire. And that is to be eternally and totally separated from the manifest presence of Almighty. We live in a very wicked world, a very wicked society. There's sin everywhere, but there's God everywhere too. Can you imagine what this world would be like if you took every saint out? If the Holy Spirit withdrew His presence. Can you imagine what Jesus must have experienced? For that moment, God had to withdraw His presence from His own Son. And He cries, my God. He doesn't cry out, oh, the nails, oh, the nails, oh, the spear, no. He cries out, my God, my God. Where are you, God? I don't like the nails, but I could go through the nails. But God, where are you? Why? Phew. Forsaken. Oh no, friend, you don't want to go to hell. Oh no, you don't want to go through the fires of hell. But that's not the worst part of it. When God withdraws his presence. Wow, what spiritual pain. To be eternally in totally separated from God in His manifest presence to be totally and completely engulfed in the vileness and in the vulgarness and in the wickedness that prevails outside of the presence of God. Hear me, no physical torture, no mental or emotional torture can even compare to the unprecedented pain and torture of finding yourself separated from God and His manifest presence. We're surveying the cross today. We've looked at the Person of, uh, the person of the cross, we've looked at the pain of the cross. One last thing we're going to look at, that is we're going to look at the provision of the cross. The provision of the cross. What is the provision of the cross? What does the cross provide? Number one, it provides salvation. Salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know the world thinks you're nuts for being here today? I mean, you got out of bed on a rainy morning, and you could have slept in a rainy morning. And you rolled out of bed on a rainy Morning, and you walked in here in the rain to listen to some maniac rant and rave at you? 
talk to you about hell and torment and separation from God. So the world thinks you're nuts. <laughs> and you even put money in the bag as it went by. Well, some of you did. You even put money in the bag as it went by to pay somebody to do that. Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. May I suggest that salvation was provided for us at and by cross. May I suggest to you today that salvation comes only one way, only one way, and it's by placing your faith, your hope, your trust, your confidence in the finished work of Christ and His cross. It was at the cross that Jesus, God's perfect Son, did for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. Oh, hear me, friend, you cannot save yourself. You can't save yourself. You cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps today. You'll never be good enough to earn salvation. It's impossible to keep all the rules. It's impossible to keep all of the rules. You cannot dot all of the I's and cross all of the T's. It's impossible. The only hope that you and I have for salvation can only be found in Christ and His cross. You see, it was at the cross where Jesus, God's only Son, it was at the cross that God placed Jesus. Oh, it was at the cross where God collected all of the sin of the world and dumped it on His Son, Jesus. Oh, that He might become our substitute, that He might die in our stead. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin brings death. But the Bible says that one man could die for the whole world. And that one man was Jesus. And he died on the cross for our sin. And salvation is provided for every single person who will place their faith, their hope, their trust, their confidence in Christ and his cross. That's it. We like to make it all complicated. We like to put our little twists and our little turns on it. We like to put our little doctrinal things in it and our little you know, denominational things in it and all of those things that we like to do. But I'm going to tell you that salvation is pure and simple. Amen. It's all, it's all based upon whether or not we believe and whether we have faith and trust and hope and confidence in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That's it. Don't have to join my church. Don't have to jump through my hoops. Don't have to do my little song and dance. All you got to do is put your faith, your trust, your confidence, your hope in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Not only is the provision of the cross salvation, but also it's liberation. Liberation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 says, So now there is no condemnation for those of us who belong to 
Christ Jesus. Notice it didn't say there's no condemnation now. He said there's no condemnation to those of us who belong to Christ. Don't forget about that. A lot of people like to quote and say there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. To those that have placed their faith, their trust, their hope, their confidence in Christ in the cross. Because you belong to Him. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Goes on to say, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. Two things, and I'm done this morning. Two things Paul says God provided for us at the cross besides our salvation. Paul said He freed us from the power of sin. Paul says He declared an end to sin's control. See, God didn't just provide salvation for us at the cross. He also provided liberation. Liberation. He didn't just make it possible for us to go to heaven when we die in the sweet by and by. But he made it possible for us to live victoriously in this life. In this life. Friend, if you're here today and you're bound by sin, if you are consistently losing the battle over sin in your life. If some addiction has has attached itself to you, maybe you're struggling with alcohol, maybe you're struggling with with pornography, maybe you're struggling with drugs, maybe you're struggling with illicit sex, or the the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Oh, Oh, you've tried everything there is to try. You've tried everything you know to free yourself from these things. Oh, may I suggest to you that what counseling and rehab and antidepressants have been unable to do for you, I am telling you today that one trip, one trip, one trip to the foot of the cross can do. able to set you free. God doesn't want to just save you today. He wants to set you free. He wants to liberate you. And the Christ of the cross provides not only salvation, but liberation. John 8 and 36 says, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The worship team can get back in place very, very quickly, very quietly. It's been a little difficult to preach. I've been preaching to a parade this morning. But I'm hoping that the Word of God, the Lord, His Word today, His Word, The gospel, the gospel, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He became the Son of Man, that He did for us what we could never ever do for ourselves, is available for you today. Heavenly Father, I just pray today that you will take the word today, Lord, not my little sermon today, but God, the Word, the Gospel. God, the power is not in the delivery. The power 
gospel. And I pray that the gospel will resonate in the heart of the people today. And people that need you will come to you today. In Jesus' name. Everyone standing, please. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed today just for a couple of moments. Perhaps you're here today and you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You might be here today, and the only reason you're here is to get a backpack for your kid. And I, I understand that. I understand that. Thank you for coming. We're delighted to give it to you and provide it for you. We want to be a blessing to you. But while you're here today, we also want to introduce you to our Jesus. Because it's out of the love that we have for our Jesus that we give you the school supplies and the backpacks. We're so in love with our Jesus. We want you to be in love with him too. We believe the Bible. We believe everything the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus himself, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And Jesus said this. I didn't say it, Jesus did. He said, no one gets to God except through me. Nobody gets to heaven except by me. I presented to you the best of my ability this morning, the gospel, Jesus Christ. If you're here today as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, and If you're here today, you're not 100% sure if you were to die before you, before you leave this building today, you're not 100% sure that you would go to heaven. I have 100% assurance in my heart if I were to die in the next five minutes, I'd go to heaven. Not because I'm a good person, not because I've done enough good deeds, not because I've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, but because... I've met the biblical requirements for salvation, and that is I have placed my faith, my trust, my hope, and my confidence in Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, I invite you to do that this morning. So as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today, if you are not 100% sure of your salvation, you want to be 100% sure, you want to be 100% sure that you're saved, I want you to just lift your hand and let me just recognize you've lifted your hand this morning. Anyone in this whole building? I'm not 100% sure of my salvation. I'm not 100% sure if I died today that I'd go to heaven. I want that assurance. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. I don't see any hands raised. I want to pray. Father. I just pray today that the seeds that have been sown today
will take root. There are those that heard all of the gospel, some that came in just enough to hear a little bit of the gospel, but God, whatever, I just pray that that will be seed that will be planted in the heart of the people today. I pray you'll send people to these people, Lord, that will water this seed and that will help harvest the seed. I pray it will not be in vain will not be for naught, but it will accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish. In Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed still this morning, nobody looking around, just for a moment, I have one more altar call. The cross not only provides salvation, it also provides liberation. Are you here today and you need to be liberated from your sin today? You need God to totally and completely set you free. You're struggling with sin today, and you need to be set free. I think we'll find it at the, pow- at the foot of the cross today. Are you here this morning, anyone in this room? Put your hand. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for each one today who's lifted their hand. Each one in this room today, God, who, who is bound by sin, or Lord, they are, they are severely tempted and pulled and torn today. God, I pray, Lord, they will find liberation today. They will be set free, totally, completely set free. That the message of the power of the cross set them free today. In the name of Jesus. Glory of God, I pray.